The scripture reading for this morning is from the New Testament, 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. Of course, there is a great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Grace and peace to you, beloved. I am Amy Wilson Feltz. I'm the pastor here at Morningstar. I'm really delighted to be with you on this fifth Sunday in the season of Lent. Some of you are here for the first time. We are working through a sermon series in which we are using these notebooks. We have some available. This is the last Sunday in the series, but it's not too late to participate. So if you would like a book... Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have big news in our house. Our two-year-old, which some of you saw earlier this morning, can now open any door in the house. She has to stand on the tip of her toes to do it, but... It's efficient enough. She can get the doors open. And of course, the favorite door in the house for her to open is the pantry in the kitchen. She'll come to me first and she'll say, snack. But without waiting for an answer, she will go and open the door and seek to help herself. And she'll look at the raisins and she'll look at the applesauce and she'll look at the animal crackers. And then she'll look back at me and say, chocolate? Now, if I do say so myself, this is a cute kid. So to share our burdens with him and with each other. And in doing so, we have borrowed a definition from Richard A. Swinson, who is a medical doctor, who defines margin as the difference between our load and our limits. Margin is the difference between our load and our limits. Swinson identifies four major areas of life in which we all need margin, and they are, once again, the emotional, the physical, the temporal, and the financial. So far in this series, we have considered the uselessness of worry and the great value of peace. We've talked about the realities of fatigue and ways to recover our energy. We've considered what it takes to slow down, to stop hurrying, and to live with a sense of calm. And that brings us, of course, to the fourth and remaining area of margin that Swinson identifies, the financial. You can all take another deep breath. The sermon is not about money. 
Thank you, Sherry. <laughs> we just spent the entire month of February talking about money, right? We, we went through our stewardship series. We asked God to reveal what it was we were being called to contribute. We submitted our estimates of giving. We be, we're beginning to make plans for our budget for the coming fiscal year so that we can pursue our mission. And for those of you who don't know, the mission here at Morningstar is to point people to the grace of God that we find in Jesus. And we go about that mission through our vision of inspirational worship, radical inclusion, and the alleviation of suffering. So today's message is not about money, it's about gain. G-A-I-N, great gain to be exact. And that is the topic of the text that Elaine read for us this morning. The book that we call First Timothy in the New Testament is known as a pastoral letter. It has long been attributed to the Apostle Paul, but was most likely written by a student sharing Paul's school of thought, Paul's theology. That was a common practice at the time. It is the longest of the pastoral letters, the other letters being 2 Timothy and Titus, and it focuses on the trouble of false teaching in the city of Ephesus, which we would find in what we call Turkey. The overarching theme in this letter is one that identifies the children of God, followers of Jesus, as the household of God, the family of God. Family is an interesting concept, isn't it? An interesting reality. We love our family members for the most part. And often it is our family members who see us at our worst, who know what it is like to be on the other side of us when we are not living into the fullness of life that following Jesus offers us. The truth is we often treat others best when we are healthy, when we are satisfied, when we are content, when we are taking our role as divine image bearers seriously. That's the call of this letter, to remember that the teachings of Paul, which are based on the teachings of Jesus, call us to know our limits and to breathe deeply and to live generously in every area of life. And we cannot do that if we are overloaded if we've associated great gain and getting ahead with an insatiable appetite for more and more and more. More can lead to less, can lead to nothing, the writer of 1 Timothy tells us, using money as an example, probably because Jesus identified money as the thing that competes for the allegiance of our souls more than anything else in this life. Right away, this passage tells us that for followers of Jesus, great gain in life comes not from more, but from contentment. And certainly we can apply this truth to our relationship with money and the basic principle that we emphasized during our stewardship series holds true here. This idea that when we are content with less, we have more to give. This is true in every area of life, as we have discussed in our Lenten series about margin. When we have less emotional stress, we have more from our inner life to give to our relationships. When we do not feel so tired, we have more energy to give to the people and the things that really matter. When we don't overcrowd our schedules or create a false sense of urgency, we have more time to enjoy life and to respond to needs as they arise. 
When we are content with less, we have more to give. Now, as we have said before, in previous messages, contentment is a state of happiness or satisfaction. So what we are really talking about here is learning to be satisfied with less. It is dissatisfaction that fuels the pursuit of more to the point that we often have more than we actually need. So in our passage for today, the writer of the letter makes a connection between contentment and godliness. In this day and age, we tend to think of godliness as perfection or flawlessness. We've come to associate the word with purity or piety or religious devotion, but it really just means like God. To be godly is to be like God. Now, this very idea can make us really uncomfortable. We are much more comfortable with the idea of being like Jesus, of following Jesus, of living the way that Jesus calls us to live. But remember, Jesus is God. And this idea of godliness takes us back to our definition of holy, holiness, from the very first sermon series of the year. Stuart also talked about this last week. To be holy, to be sacred, is to be set apart for a specific purpose. To be holy is to be set apart. And the very first book of our holy text tells us that we human beings are created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God, I would add, to be set apart in a few really important ways. To take great care to show care for others, to be good stewards. That's the first way. To know our limits is the second way. And to know when enough is enough is the third. We were created in the image of God to take great care, to know our limits, and to know when enough is enough. And that's exactly what contentment can teach us. Contentment can teach us that enough is enough that less is more, that when we have contentment with less, we have more to give. And put together, First Timothy tells us godliness and contentment lead to gain. Now, at first glance, this could seem like a contradictory statement. How could we gain while we are content? Well, gain isn't about more in terms of quantity. Gain does not merely describe an increase in in an amount. Gain also can describe an increase in quality, in the quality of life in this case. In this short passage, in this short letter, the writer is appealing to the wisdom tradition of the people of God, sharing in four verses three well-known proverbs. Did you catch them when Elaine was reading them? We brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. That's the first proverb. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. That's the second one. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. That's number three. An understanding of these general truths presents a picture of what it means to be godly, to be like God, to be content with the provision of our needs and not to pursue an excess of wants because we own nothing. Basic needs are enough. And loving anything more than we love God is going to get us into trouble. 
That's how we can interpret these proverbs. Practically speaking, we own nothing. Enough is enough. And we are to love God the most. So the implication here is that in observing these proverbs, these postures of living, we will gain perspective. We'll gain freedom to enjoy what really matters. We will gain margin, in other words. So the task becomes to seek to gain things that cannot be measured, as we talked about in the children's sermon, to gain things that cannot be measured by dollar signs and scales and rulers, because life is about more than that. And remember, we're talking about all areas of life here because for followers of Jesus, all of life is spiritual. So the piece about the love of money is just one example, but it is a pertinent one because financial margin or the lack of it certainly affects every other area of life. So I don't want to dwell on money, but I don't want to gloss over the importance of financial margin. So we're going to take it in generalities here. Richard Swenson, the author of the book that I mentioned, identifies three ways that we can increase or develop, cultivate financial margin, and that's through increasing income, increasing savings, and lowering expenses. And he says that lowering expenses tends to be the most effective way in many cases because increasing income and even increasing savings inevitably inevitably will lead to a decrease in margin in other areas. If we're working more to make more money, we have less time. It puts strain on our relationships. It is important to note here that I'm not talking about situations of generational or even situational poverty. That's another topic for another day. Margin is a luxury in those situations. What I'm talking about here are the situations in which we have steady income, though it may not be as much as we would like, and we have access to adequate resources, though it may not be exactly everything that we want. When those two things are in place, income and resources, we really do have more than we often recognize at our fingertips. So Swenson's point, and mine too, is that for many followers of Jesus, margin is not a luxury, it's a necessity. And the lack of margin is putting strain on every area of life to the point that it affects the way that we follow Jesus. So taking control of our finances is one of the ways that we can check within ourselves what it really is that we are trying to gain in this life and in the next. Swinson was influenced, of course, by Jesus and by the teachings of Jesus because he's a follower of Jesus himself but he was also influenced by the teachings of John Wesley, one of the founders of our Methodist movement in the 18th century, who was a preacher who was not afraid to talk about money. He actually offered a sermon called The Use of Money, in which he is famously quoted as saying, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Earn, save, and give. We can see some parallels here between Swinson's advice for gaining margin and Wesley's advice for relating to money because both place an emphasis on giving. Because giving is the one thing, the one thing that we can do to keep money from becoming too powerful in our lives. 
from convincing ourselves like children that we just need one more and one more and one more until we have nothing else left that really matters. One of the purposes of the season of Lent is to focus on what really matters in light of our mortality and our dependence on God and the reality of human limitation. That's why we have been taking note of our actions with these notebooks. So I invite you to gather your notebook if you haven't. We've been taking note of our actions and thoughts to reveal areas in which we could use some margin, some space between our load and our limits. In a church-wide practice of mindfulness, we've been asking ourselves to be honest about the times when we're borrowing trouble. We've been asking ourselves to be honest about when we feel weary. We've been asking ourselves to be honest about when we feel hurried as we seek to cultivate instead peace and energy and calm, all the while taking deep breaths to acknowledge the source of our life, the source of the gift of life. While we are wrapping up this series today, I hope that we are not closing the book on margin. Certainly, there's at least one more question that can help us move from anxiety to security. From anxiety to security. And that question is this. Do I really need that? I've lost access to my slides can we advance to the question? Thank you. The very last question. There we go. Do I really need that? So I invite you to write that down, and I will do the same right now. Do I really need that? And again, this practice is not about solutions. It's about observations. It's about seeing patterns in our in our thoughts and in our actions. Do I really need that? It's a simple question, but it's sometimes not so simple to answer because what we think we need is influenced by a variety of factors. But if we remember that contentment is a friend of godliness, is an important part of what it means to be divine image bearers, then we can teach or reteach ourselves to answer that question honestly. That's certainly what Jason and I are trying to do with Olivia Kay and with our other children and even with ourselves to learn and to relearn the difference between when we want something and when we actually need it. And when we discern that we actually need something to make the healthiest choice so that we can continue to grow in all areas of life. So I'm going to give you a hint when you're asking this question do I really need that? The answer does not always lie in more. The answer is not always more. Often it's less. If you don't believe me yet, that's okay. We're going to see this truth revealed together in the coming weeks as we shout praises on Palm Sunday and as we have to remind ourselves to breathe on Good Friday and as we stand watch on Holy Saturday and as we finally sing Alleluia on Sunday morning, Easter morning. So I encourage you as we walk through these holy days together to maintain your practice of mindfulness. 
Truly, my hope for us in these final days of Lent and beyond is that we will never forget the movement of Jesus, the journey of Jesus to the cross and all that was gained when it seemed that everything was lost. Amen? Amen.